Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, October is that time of good weather, allergies, uh, football games. It's, uh, it's a, I'm, I'm sorry? Baseball, the World Series. I mean, everything in the world is going on. So thank you for being here. Um, I, I, I used to, when I was in, in, in college and seminary and graduate school, I, I never wanted to miss the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Because I knew that the professor would see me. <laughs> John Ed Matheson tells a story about making his way through the preschool area of the church. And on that particular Sunday, they were making churches to put their offering in. They were talking about giving in the church. And, and, and the he found this little boy that was just so proud of what he had made. And so, Reverend Matheson, one time pastor at Fraser Memorial United Methodist Church in Mobile, Alabama, one of our, one of our mega, mega United Methodist churches, said he picked it up and he held it and just admired it. And the little boy said, be careful, pastor. You've got Jesus' church in your hands. Be careful, pastor. You've got Jesus' church in your hands. We have Jesus' church in our hands. Let's pray. That's what I want to talk about today. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our strength, our redeemer, our hope. May these words be your words. Hide me behind the cross, O oh God, that every word I don't speak that you would have planned for me, that we would hear it anyway. Open yourself to us, O oh God, and your holy word, for I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to follow along, take your Bible and turn to chapter 6 of Isaiah. Chapter 6 is the call of Isaiah. The call of Isaiah was on the heart of every Hebrew as they grew up. Isaiah was one of, the, one of the major prophets. And Isaiah was known in his prophecy for introducing the suffering servant. Those passages in the Old Testament that foreshadow the coming of the Messiah and who Jesus was for us are in Isaiah. His prophecy was about the care of those less fortunate than ourselves, especially the widows and the orphans. In many places, it was a scathing condemnation of the selfishness of the people. But the call of Isaiah comes out of pain. His best friend, the king, had died. Isaiah is suffering a time of loss, confusion, grief. And, and not only Isaiah, but Uzziah's death had left all of Israel shocked and not knowing what the next days would bring. When God appears to Isaiah... It's an interesting image. Isaiah is, he is anxious. I can only imagine the people are anxious. 
But God sits calmly on the throne. Calmly. God is in charge. God is not wound up about the, the problems of this world. But in charge. In charge. And this is when Isaiah saw the Lord. You know, what strikes me about this passage is that God uses circumstances to get our attention. God used the circumstances of Isaiah to get Isaiah's attention. And, and oftentimes we get taken by the, 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 the majesty of, of what Isaiah is experiencing. The angels and the, the shaking of the temple and, and all that surrounds him. We, we get kind of overwhelmed with that and we miss... What God is doing with Isaiah. What God is doing with us. God used Isaiah's circumstances to get his attention. And in the same way, God uses our experiences to get our attention. Changes have a way of getting our attention. Some would say that God causes or allows problems in our lives to get our attention. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think we create enough of our own problems. Amen? We create enough. God doesn't have to. I mean, God doesn't have to do anything with us. We're, we're our own problem. The miracle of God is that He uses our problems to get our attention. Is God getting our attention today? Hmm. Are we listening as Isaiah or getting frustrated? Where is God in this? Continuing on in verse 8. It's at this point that Isaiah must have thought, Who am I? Who am I? A, a sinner, a man. Who am I? And God sends an angel to, to purify God, uh, Isaiah's lips, to offer redemption to Isaiah as God does for us through Jesus Christ. Then we hear the voice of the Lord. Whom shall I send? Whom will go for me? And Isaiah's answer, here am I, send me. He offered no excuses. And we got lots of excuses. Um, over the last couple of weeks, uh, last month or so, I've been remembering all the things that my father said, you know, after his passing. And uh, one of the things he used to say is, uh, I am a sinner, but I have several really good excuses. <laughs> we all have excuses when the call of God comes to us. What's your excuse? You know, I believe in a God that is big enough to overcome our excuses if we will but just let God work. Whatever our excuses, God is bigger. For God specializes in taking bruised, soiled, 
broken, guilty, and miserable vessels and making them whole, forgiven, and useful again. The Bible is full. I mean, one of these days, I'm going to list them out. It will take me about 10 minutes to list all of the characters in the Bible and all of their faults and how God used them. Now, I want to do something here. If you got your, I know you have your Bibles open. I want you to skip down to verse 10. It's not a part of what Cindy read for you, but skip down to verse 10. And God tells Isaiah why the people are not going to hear. He said, and the way it reads is, Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. And the only problem with that passage is that when we begin to kind of break it down in the Hebrew, it kind of reads that way, but it's present tense. It's not future. The people already are. Their ears are already closed. Their eyes are already blind. And here's something else. The word calloused is actually better translated fatty or fat. When Jesus quotes this passage in Matthew 13, verse 10, it's, it's much clearer in the Greek. Because their hearts were fat. You know, oh, do I have a fat heart? What have I been feeding my heart? And I'm not just talking about cholesterol and, you know, red meat and all that. I'm talking about the desires... And things that are counterproductive. You know, to put it another way, maybe we need to put our hearts on a diet. Now, I know that diet is a four-letter word. You know? But you know what I mean? Maybe we need to begin to evaluate what we are putting into our heart. What are the desires that we are feeding? What are the beasts that we are feeding in our lives? In what ways is our heart growing? What are we going to give up to let God in? Let's let that kind of simmer for a minute. Ponder it. What do we need to surrender to God for God to transform our lives? Can you silently ask that question? Lord, what do you want me to surrender? What needs to be emptied out of my heart that I may hear you and see you? What do you need from me on this day? What do I need to leave at this altar in this place so that I may go out there transformed. Hmm. Have you got the answer yet? Kind of a tough question. It's no? Who said no? I think some little girl said no. 
Or was that Ron that said no? <laughs> Here's what we have to look forward to. God is with us. God is with us. We are not alone. God could have used anybody he wanted to. But instead, as we look at the, at the Old Testament and the New Testament, particularly Isaiah, we know that God uses ordinary people just like you and I. Ordinary people, broken people. God touches us, changes us, gives us hope, and sends us out. What do you need to empty out of your heart to hear the call? Uh, Oliver Cromwell, who was the Lord Protector of Charles I during the 17th century, and because of the wars that Charles had, had waged against different others and the cost of the kingdom and, and Charles, King Charles's extravagance, England ran out of money. And Cromwell uh, gathered around him his, <coughs> his different uh, uh, people that were helping him, and, and he said, go throughout the kingdom and collect all the silver that you can find. And they came back and said, we got bad news. There is no silver among the people except the silver statues of the saints in the churches and in the monasteries. And here's what Cromwell said. He said, gather them together, melt them down that we may put them into circulation. Put them into circulation. We need to be in circulation, friends. And it may take some melting. Some melting. And some moving out of this place into that world. Take them out of the churches. Take them out out of the monasteries, bring them in and melt them down that we may put them into circulation. Now, I know at this point you're probably getting really uncomfortable, right? God's call is always uncomfortable because it scares us. It, it, it means a change. And, and we get anxious about change. We get anxious about the future. We want things to be the same. We want things to be consistent but the glory of following God and, and continuing down the path that God is leading us is, is, is better than any path that we can follow. And I will say this and say it again, that following God is like stepping off a cliff in the darkness and knowing that there will be solid ground or we will be given wings to fly. So here's the formula. Following God's call out of prayer, out of the need that you see, and out of the desires of your heart. What is your heart telling you? 
What do you desire? Where, where is God pulling you through the desires of your heart? The pure desires of God. For there are three kinds of service. One is, it's the service that's needed no matter what. Our children have to be served. They cannot serve themselves. And so, we have to serve. The, the building, the, uh, the facilities, so to speak, are a place where we do our work and we train people to send them out. It is not sexy and it is not, uh, <laughs> it is not always fun, but it is needed. Second, God led out of the desires of our hearts be led to youth ministry, to be led to community, to be led into the world missions, to be, to be led to teach, to be led to, uh, to, be led to um, work with those who are less fortunate, to be, uh, so what is God leading you to do? And then finally, servant leadership. In every place, in every way, Serve. So when God calls, how will you answer? Isaiah said, yes, I will. The children said, yes, I will. I'm not sure they knew what they were agreeing to. A day is pretty convincing for them. But they were willing. Yes, I will. Some of us need to start by saying, I will start a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of us need to say, I will take the next steps to grow in my faith. Some of us need to say, I will take the next steps to make a place for God in my heart. To put my heart on a diet. Some of us are feeling the deep moving of the soul to say, I will. I will follow you, O God even to the darkest places of this world. Take one step. Just one step. One small step. What is God calling you to do? One small step. As the band takes their place, I want to tell you one final story. I love this story. It's a parable of sorts. A reporter got an interview with Jesus. And the reporter wanted to know all kinds of things, asking Jesus about suffering in the world and, and what was heaven like. But the final question that he asked was, Jesus, how do you plan on getting your message out to all the people of the world? And Jesus said, well, that started 2,000 years ago. He says, I had 12 disciples, and they were to call others, and they were to call others, and they were to call others. And I am, I am with them, helping them to call, but it's in their hands. It's in their hands. And the reporter said, what if they fail? And Jesus said, I got no other plans. The church of Jesus is in your hands. <laughs>